comes the rain, with my anger comes a tide of emotion, killing joy, cutting steel across your eyes. Are you dead or insane? Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Jeremy Bai for another episode of the Righteous Blood Podcast, and tonight we're doing a Q&A, so normally we talk about movies, but the book is coming out soon, Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blades, our Wuxia role-playing game, and we wanted to take a Q&A, we might do another one of these, because we kind of dropped the Q&A thing like a day ago, and that might not have been enough time to amass all the questions that we'll get, so if we get a lot more We'll uh, we'll do another one of these, and I think Jeremy is the book coming out in Europe on the tenth of December and the twelfth of January in the United States because of a um uh, an issue with stock in the U.S. Right? Is that the? That is my understanding. I haven't heard anything to indicate there's a delay in Europe. Um, we haven't gotten our hard copies yet. We were supposed to, I think, um, but. I haven't seen it yet, and the the U.S. shipping center has not gotten stock yet, from what I from my understanding, which is why we I originally was going to order my author copies from the U.S. center, but apparently they don't have them, and they were going to courier us one from the U.K. and it hasn't arrived yet. So once we get the physical copies, we will provide an update. In the meantime, where, wherever you are, you can find it available for pre-order online, whether that's Amazon or Barnes & Noble or from the Osprey uh, Games website. Yep. So if you're interested, go ahead and pre-order now. And before I forget, my website, which is jeremybuy.com, has a ton of information about the game, uh, links to all of the reference material and the source inspiration, and uh, links to our podcast, episode, every episode of the podcast, as well as blog entries and everything. So... If you want more information beyond what we provide today, go ahead and check out jeremybuy.com. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, and so you know, again, we apologize. We know it was supposed to come out on the tenth here too, but I think there was just uh, I don't know if I don't know the specifics. I just know it was a stock issue, um, and I don't know if that has anything to do with the mailing system or what. But you know, obviously, we're we're uh, things are a little crazy. So I think uh, I was actually worried last year when when COVID first hit and we knew that the book was coming out around this time, I was like, well, is it even going to come out? So I think we're, you know, we're actually ahead of the game, but I would just say, you know, we, we, we hopefully uh, everybody in the States will get theirs uh, next month. And uh, I should be getting my physical copies uh, next week on Tuesday. Why that's relevant to the podcast is what that means is Jeremy and I are going through the PDF version right now, which isn't always ideal when we're on the podcast. So I feel like once we have our hard copy books, it's going to make it easier for you and me to kind of flip through the rule book as we're talking and looking at our screen and all that. Um, One thing I do want to point out, and this is, you know, this is super secret background information coupled with speculation. Uh, but it was mentioned that apparently the U S has already been talking about asking for a reprint now, I don't know if that's, I don't know the details about that, but what I think that means is that they must be expecting to sell out their existing stock pretty quickly. Now, I'm not trying to, you know, hype things up too much, but I do have to point out, if you're really interested in the game, I suggest pre-ordering now so that you can make sure you get a copy, because if they do need to reprint, then they, I'm going to guess they're going to have a short period of time where it's 
out of stock and waiting for the next batch. Yeah, and I and I don't know. We don't really know any details. We just kind of get bits of information. So you know, this is all with a great heavy dose of salt. All of this yes. information. Um, so yeah, so but we're excited because it is coming out soon. And uh, and and again, we're going to be answering some questions. We both have been in the editing phase of this book. We we actually finished the book. What was it about a year ago? And that was the last yeah. time we did heavy play testing of it because then the next phase was 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 editing and I was on another project and he was on another project. So now that I'm getting the physical books, I'm going to be running it again. And so I might adjust some of my answers in the coming weeks to some of these questions if a light bulb goes off in my head. But we're going to do our best to answer everything today. Um, so the first question is, uh, and we put these out to all of our followers, and we're just going by people's screen names here, I think, for the most part. Um, the first question is by a user named Endril, is that right? Endril on Twitter, uh, who says, what type of story brings out the best elements of this game? A violent romp, palace intrigue, an occult mystery? Um, I mean, I, I don't think there's any one story. I think anything that you would have seen in like a classic Shaw Brothers movie will generally work. Anything that you would see in Gulong's story would work. All three of those things would would certainly be viable. I, I I had all three of those in my in my games. The only thing I will say about the last one, the occult mystery, is this is low magic, so it's going to be a little harder if that occult mystery features heavy ma- use of magic. Uh, depending on where you're planning on going with that, the game is definitely more on the low magic end of Wuxia. So, uh, so yeah, I don't know. Is that match? Yeah, your thoughts on say- it or? I would say, yeah, I was going to say the same thing about the magic aspect. We definitely held back on that, and we've talked about that quite a bit in the in the podcast in the past. I think we've also mentioned that if we end up being able to do any sort of follow-up or expansion, probably that's kind of high on our list of, of desired yeah. aspects because it's something everybody kind of wants, I think. I do want to point out that there are actually... Uh, I mean, even more than the, those three suggestions um, from Endril, there is just so much that you could do with it. And we actually have a section uh, in the GM section talking about potential adventures and campaigns. And we give a little bit of short advice um, about uh, different styles as well as movie references for those. Um, and I'll just go into the list. I mean, we have things like assassination, defeating evil, um, a heist, an escort job, mystery, sect wars, search and search and rescue, tournaments and duels, and and we do have a section for supernatural as well. So, and that's there's more than that. So definitely whatever you're looking to do, as long as it's something like you mentioned that you've seen in a Wuxia movie or read about in a classic Wuxia novel, you can probably emulate it to some extent. And just to be clear, the escort job is like a courier bodyguard type situation. <laughs> right. You know, that's a um, you know, there's, there's double meaning there. I want to be clear. Um, but, uh, that's the, and that's the standard. If you watch the movies, that's like the standard translation is escort. And sometimes it's even escort agency, which makes it even more on the line of confusion. Um, so the next question is from Darren who, who, uh, you know, uh, you know, is in, in one of my, my communities. Uh, he asks, uh, what was the experience working with another company instead of bedrock games? So, uh, for those who don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm basically Bedrock Games. It used to be me and Bill, but Bill passed away, and so now it's, it's me. I, I work with other designers. I have, you know, people like Dan Orcutt and and Ryan who help me, but it's, um, but it, but it's still basically me. So when I'm working for Bedrock Games, I'm working for myself, and 
that's a, obviously a different experience than working with Osprey. That's a publisher. Uh, what I'll say for me, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let Jeremy answer is Osprey is a company that I've always admired because I grew up as a, as a history buff and I used to love the Osprey books. And even when I went to college, I had a professor who, who they, they, they all the professors will kind of give a lecture the first day of what resources are valid. And I remember I had one who brought in a bunch of Osprey books and he said, technically these are not like, you know, like academic books, but these books are so good. I think that I would allow you to use these and I would encourage you to use these for your coursework. Um, and this was my professor of Byzantine history. And he had a bunch of, uh, I don't know what books he had at the time, but some of that were related to like the Byzantine army and stuff like that. And so, you know, I, I've always been a fan of Osprey and I was really happy when I got contacted by Osprey that they were the company that reached out to me because that, that was, uh, uh, you know, something that I, I really, uh, you know, it just, it's just kind of like a dream come true. Uh, and in terms of working for them, I don't know, it was, it was really laid back. I thought I didn't, I, you know, I, I felt like we were given very strong creative control and I didn't have to worry about all the other stuff that I normally have to worry about, like, you know, budgeting and all these things. And so, you know, on the one hand, that sort of limits you because you're not in control of those details. But it was a relief in a way to not be in control of those details. So, you know, and also the book is at a level that I can't produce when I'm doing Bedrock Games. Bedrock Games is a very stripped down interior black and white. You know, there's a certain style uh and we get we get great art but like i can't do the glossy pages and stuff like that and the color and this is all in color and glossy and you know just looks different so the end product really has a different look and feel but i don't know what what was your experience with it well i am not coming at this from the from the perspective of being a long time you know tabletop role-playing game professional uh that's not my field i had i have worked professionally in games before, but it was computer games, or I should say mobile games and computer games. I do have a little bit of experience in that regard. So in terms of tabletop role-playing games specifically, the only people I've actually worked with would be you, Brendan, and then Osprey. And obviously there's a big difference between those two because you're a you know small indie publisher and yeah. they're like this a part of a very, very large yeah. professional publishing house. And so there were definitely differences. Uh, overall, the experience was great. Like you mentioned, it was quite laid back. And there were, I would say we didn't really have any of those sort of like professional disagreements or anything like that in terms of like the uh, our the producer that was managing us um, or the artist. One kind of sort of frustrating thing is, that, is the time difference. But that's something that I've dealt with since I used to live in China. I mean, I've yeah. been dealing with it for years. So it wasn't really that frustrating it just you know a lot of times it will take a few days just to get a response because of different time zones yeah, and whatever because yeah, he's on jeremy's on the west coast so if he sends an email at five it's definitely not getting back to him till the next day yeah, yeah. and there, there were also a few sort of like cultural differences between american style and british style of communication i think just but i mean i'm very very minor so yeah. overall the the differences were I would say very, very minor. And I think part of it is to do, part of it probably has to do with the fact that, and this is just a guess, but I don't think their role-playing division is like, I mean, it's pretty new. It's only something like a year or two old. Oh, we, we, the, we got, uh, they switched producers in the middle of the project as well. 
which did kind of affect things. Um, but in any case, I, I think it's probably a lot different working with their brand new role playing game division than it would be in my mind working for like Wizards of the Coast, yeah. who's like been doing this for a really, really long time. Yeah, and I and I would just say I thought they were you know everybody was friendly like Jeremy said we didn't have like nobody yelled at us or anything like that we didn't get any you know what I mean there were no nightmare situations everybody was cool if anything we probably annoyed them because we were both yeah. we were both very pedantic about details and things like that and I'm sure and 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 I'm sure I'm sure that we were uh, you know uh, if there was any frustration it would have been on us present not on our end um, <laughs> yeah so. So I, you know, I, I, I had, I had a blast doing it. Um, and in terms of the creative process, I guess there were some differences in that when I'm doing bedrock stuff, I just like, I take my time and work on something as long as I want. Sometimes I bang them out in a month. Sometimes I take like a couple of years to do them. And, and then I start to amass art and then, you know, it's just like, I just have a different pace and a different, uh, and, and I, and, and I'm more because it's just me, it's like I can sort of say, okay, I'm going to do this and do this by next month, and then I'm going to be done. And this is this was a more, you know, uh, structured process of getting it into the pipeline and doing all that stuff. And um, and so uh, and yeah, and also the I, the other big difference too is this one was done towards the end uh, under COVID, and that created a lot more uncertainty than would have normally existed when I was doing bedrock stuff. So so there was that too. Um, now the, the, the next, uh, question is, is it Sylvain Durand? Is that the correct, uh, pronunciation? Uh, Sylvain. Okay. So Sylvain Durand on YouTube. Uh, this is a long one. So do you want me to take them one at a time or do you want me to ask all of them? And then we just answer as much of it as we can. Cause there's I like mean, four some, questions maybe, here. They're all so different. I think maybe we should just do them one at a time. Okay. All right. So the first one is, will you have combat options for those who would like fights to go more like a Jin Yong novel? And I think both of us talked about this before the podcast, and we both agreed this is not a Jin Yong style RPG. Uh, it's it's specifically trying not to be a Jin Yong style RPG. It's trying to be more like Gulong. So uh, you're, I mean. Jeremy had mentioned we do have an optional rule to make it so that you can counter a counter in the game, which might not sound meaningful to you if you haven't played the game yet, but that would open up a more Jin Yong style play, but it still doesn't have like the 18 dragon subduing palm things that you, you were talking about. So uh, what we uh, what we haven't ruled out is the possibility of eventually doing something like that. And in the meantime, I would say you can always go to Ogre Gate because the systems are so close. You can go to Orgate and try to rip out some of the techniques and stuff and port them in. Um, and that might open up that possibility. But this is really meant more for like Gulong, Choyuan style. Uh, I draw my sword and you die type stuff. It's Yeah, I mean, if, if you really wanted to do that and you're comfortable doing homebrew stuff, then you could definitely do it by creating some of your own yeah. techniques. But basically, so you mentioned 18 Dragons are doing palms. That was the first thing that jumped to mind from Jin Yong, but it's, you know, in his stuff, I think it's pretty common for the people to cultivate, sorry, not cultivate too. Well, I guess you could say cultivate, but they practice usually these martial arts systems or something that are made up of numerous different stances. And then each stance has a specific kind of yeah. function. And then usually the, the, each stance will have different variations. And so in Jin Yong fight scenes, they're really cool and complicated because each person is countering 
you know, this this one move with this other special move, and then it goes back and forth, and they're, you know, they're, it, he describes, like, their movement of their wrist and, like, the angle of the sword and stuff. But we were specifically going away from that. And so in Reich's Blood, Ruthless Blades, the signature ability is designed to basically essentially do one thing. And we, you know, we provide for, we encourage there to be some creative application of that essential function. But basically, each of the signature abilities does something and is supposed to do that thing and then accomplish it. And then the fight is supposed to go back and forth, generally no more than one or two rounds. I mean, it, it obviously can, but we wanted it to be, like you said, draw draw the sword and, and die kind of thing. And yeah. so without doing tampering and homebrew stuff, you're not going to be able to take what's in the rule book and really pull off a good Jin Yong thing uh, the way it's written. Yeah, And I would say this. I would say if you do want to do Jin Yong, the way to do it is to read, pick pick a Jin Yong story, read it, and take notes. Um, uh, what's his name? Liang Yusheng, who did um, the White-Haired Demonist book, the one that Brian with White Hair is based on. I was really into that for a time, and... I remember I read that and I took notes and I cataloged every technique that was in the book. And he's kind of similar to Jin Yong and how the fights play out and stuff. And it's almost as if they've devised their own system for for their stories. And so you could, t- you know, I, I, if I was I was going to sit down and actually create a bride with white hair version of Ogre Gate at one point. I never did. Um, just for my own home use. And I think, honestly, if you're really passionate about Jin Yong that is the right way to go about doing it. Like, go through the book, take notes. And I, I and again, I think this game is designed in the same way Ogregate was, where we anticipate GMs will make their own techniques and players might even make their own techniques and their own counters and stuff like that. So it's, you know, while it's certainly not what we envision for the game, it would be perfectly fine for you to take this game and then create a hack of it using... Um, you know, a, a, a Jin Yong novel to, to as your basis for your techniques, uh, and that's really the most authentic way to do it. Because if you try to come up with a generic set of techniques, more like I did in Ogregate, say, uh, you're going to get the overall feel, but you're not going to get the very specific eighteen dragons subduing pot. You know what I mean? That's a very specific thing. Um, so I don't know. Is that, I think that answers that question. Unless there's um, so the next question he asked is a. Uh, uh, actually, uh, I don't know if this is uh, uh, he or she, but uh, will it be possible to use the the game to run supernatural adventure like a Chinese ghost story? Um, no, I would say no. I would say this is a low magic Usha setting. Jeremy already kind of said the first thing that he and I were talking about when we were thinking of if we ever do do a, a follow-up or an expansion... Chinese ghost story type thing. That's certainly what we were thinking. So they could do that. I, 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 this game is based on Ogre Gate, and it's actually even more based on a stripped down version of Ogre Gate, which was the basis for Strange Tales of Song Ling, which is another game that I did. You could take the monsters from that game and probably try to use them in this game without that much difficulty. I haven't, I haven't actually attempted that yet. So I don't know if I don't know how much fiddling you'd have to do. But it would probably be fairly minimal. Um, you'd have to account for things like resist, the wounds being a little different, and stuff like that. But other than that, the mechanics should all kind of align together. So I don't know. What What are your thoughts on on this one? Yeah, the same. We kind of touched on this with the the previous question a couple questions ago. But basically, 
for now it's not designed for that and we do have a magical arts um, ability which I think will be if we ever um, go expanding in the direction of something more supernatural it will be that'll be like one of the main aspects of it um, and again if, if you homebrewed stuff then you obviously could but it's not designed that way isn't the, the subtitle of Strange Tales of Songling like a Chinese horror or Chinese supernatural horror or something I, I can't remember. I changed it a bunch of times actually um, and yeah mine's to... in the my copy's in the other room so I'm not sure but the point is um, you know, if, if that's what you're aiming for, for now, I would even just say, I would say definitely get a copy of Strange Tales, and then whether you, whether you play straight off of that or you combine it with Righteous Blood with Blades, that would probably be the best ticket so, right now. So the the it's it's a horror RPG inspired by Chinese ghost stories, is what I called it. Um, so uh, yeah, so why don't you answer the next question? Because I've been answering them all, and I feel like it's like you know, it's okay. like all Brendan's so, responses. Um, so, are there traditional sects and clans from Wuxia novels uh, to be described with their martial arts? So, we, I'm not 100% sure if you mean traditional, like, a sect and clan, as in, like, Shaolin, Wudang, Chenzhen, or if you just mean the traditional concept of the sect or the clan. We do not have any real-life or fictional, or, we do not have any real-life clans or sects, and we do not, do not have any that appear in any traditional wuxia novel, TV show, or anything. We didn't want to uh, clash in terms of copyright with anybody. So the uh, we do have um, clans and we do have sects. Uh, they're not as emphasized as in Ogregate. They're kind of, we went more character-driven. Um, so the characters are a lot more important than, the specific individual characters are more important than the organizations that back them. But we do have a, a set group of clans and yeah. sects and whatnot. And uh, they're all unique. We came up with all of them ourselves, and that goes for everything, including all of the characters, all of the weapons, all of the abilities. Now, of course, we drew inspiration from real life and from existing fiction. Uh, for, and anybody who is familiar with Wuxia, like deeply familiar, or at least have a pretty good understanding, you will be able to see little bits of inspiration from here, there, all over the place. Like, for instance, the uh, one of the top figures, or the top figure of our Jianghu, of our martial world, is um, uh, inspired by a top figure from Gulong's martial arts, uh, Jianghu. I'm not going to say who it is, but for anybody that's familiar, you should be able to not, get the reference. Not the number speaking. one fighter, right? It was not our. I don't. I don't want to get into spoilers or reveal the information. But the point is, just we have a lot of characters that come from, not from, but we like saw something in a movie, read something in a book, and we thought that's really cool, and so we t did a twist on it and brought it into our game. So, in any, so the answer to the question for me is that uh, in the traditional sense, yes, but in the in the in the sense of actually having Shaolin or Wu Deng or something, no. Yeah, and and to be clear, we we talked about that when we um when we started this project. Like, I remember having a brief conversation about do we want to have like Wu Deng and Erme and uh, and Shaolin, and I think one of the first things we discovered was I think I could be wrong, so please take this with a grain of salt. Because we had this conversation like two years ago, or maybe closer to three, um, I believe we found out that like Shaolin might actually be copyrighted by Shaolin, right? There was something to do with that, and we weren't clear on the other sects. And obviously, if you're a writer in China operating using these things, it might the, co the copyright might be more flexible there for you. But we didn't know how things would pan. We just didn't want to create any copyright issues, so we. We decided to to go the direction of our own fictional 
thing because there is like a shared fictional universe in wuxia right like a lot of a lot of wuxia novelists they have their own sex but they also they'll all like possibly have shaolin in there all have erme right or all you know so um but we we just wanted to tread carefully there uh and yeah, maybe yeah. we were too careful i don't know because maybe if we had maybe if i had like an ip lawyer i could have consulted it would have been you know, oh, you're being ridiculous. You don't have to worry about that. But we didn't. <laughs> we didn't really know. So uh, I mean, yeah, and and honestly, it was you. Know, I I totally remember this conversation as well. And it, to be honest, it's it went by pretty quickly. It's not like we were like sitting there debating for months, like oh, yeah. should we put Shaolin? Oh, we might get sued or something. We kind of were just like, should we do it? And then I think you were like, well, don't they like have a copyright? And I was like, I don't know. Well, whatever. We'll just we'll do our own thing. And to be perfectly honest, I am really happy with that because, um, especially with Shaolin, like I don't want to get the conversation derailed here, but Sha- Shaolin is just like I'm kind of over Shaolin. Like I, I mean, that was one of the very first things that intrigued me about Usha and Chinese martial arts and whatnot. But it's like everybody has done it. Everybody talks about it. There's a million movies about it. It's in every. It's in Dungeons and Dragons for goodness sake. I mean, not literally, but it's like. Basically, the, it is. Basically, basically it is. is. Yeah. So it's like I'm done with Shaolin, and it, it'll always hold a, a, a place in my heart. But it's just I'm glad to have done something without it. Um, and same goes for Wudang. I mean, I really I, I I'm drawn to Wudang more than Shaolin for a variety of reasons. But I'm also glad to get away from that because it's like so ubiquitous in the genre that I think it's nice to get kind of a fresh a fresh breath of air, so to speak. I'm intrigued by why you're drawn to Wudang versus Shaolin, but we'll save that for another podcast, maybe. Okay. Um, so the next question is, in some books and movies, some villains' uh, powerful martial art can only be defeated by learning a particular technique. Do you have a rule to emulate this trope? Well, we don't have a rule, per se, but this actually, I, I think, is kind of a fundamental feature of the game um, or whether fundamental principle I think right yeah Did principle, that's a better way of saying it uh, and we go into detail about this in the GM section because uh, it's actually quite possible for both players or NPC characters to create combinations of abilities um, uh, items and whatnot that are virtually um, invincible in certain situations uh, it, or you could say overpowered uh, and it's even possible, I experienced this during my playtesting, you know, it's it's possible for players to kind of spring this on you, where they're, they're, they're going through and looking at every single technique and, like, finding these combinations, and all of a sudden they're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I'm leveling up, so I'm getting this new ability. And then all of a sudden they're doing something that the GM's not expecting because you weren't researching all that stuff, and then all of a sudden you have a player that, that no, none of the other NPCs of the same level can beat. Or it, could, it can work the other way as well with the villains. And so that we know about that, and we address that in, in the rules, and we kind of like that feature for this exact reason that was mentioned in the question, because the movies always have this person who suddenly becomes so powerful that nobody can beat them, and then the movie becomes, uh, a key element of the movie becomes how do they beat them. Now, obviously, usually it's the bad guy that does this, uh, and so we have advice and rules, uh, not rules, we have advice for how to deal with that, and I think that uh, it essentially is going to boil down mostly to the GM and how the GM wants to handle it. So we have a few, I'm not going to get into the details, I think, in, in this forum because it would take too long, but essentially uh, there's a couple different ways the GM can handle that situation, whether it's helping the uh, players or guiding the players to be able to deal with a super powerful villain. And incidentally, in the 
uh, bonus adventure, um, uh, Pleasures of the Harbor, this kind of comes up because Pleasures of the Harbor is designed for all levels, but it has some really powerful bad guys. So yeah. if players go into Pleasures of the Harbor at level one or two, there's no way they're going to be able to fight it out with yeah. some of the key bad guys. And so they're going to have to figure out a way to get around that obstacle. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I think um, there's, a, there's a thing in the game called a secret technique, too, which kind of gets into this territory where we deliberately put techniques into the game, not techniques, styles or abilities, signature abilities, that we, we knew they were more powerful than other ones. And so therefore we made them secret so that not everybody would have access to them. They're kind of like, you know, the, like the, these forbidden techniques or these things that only like one guy knows and who knows where that person is. Um, or maybe it's a lost, forgotten technique. If somebody gets their hands on one of these, they could be quite formidable. And in the GM section, we explain, like, there's a list of signature abilities and counters in the game, but those are just a starting point. The GM and the players are assumed to elaborate further as the game goes on. And so one possible solution is the players would have to develop a counter to a technique, and it would be kind of like the classic, like... um snake in the eagle shadow type situation where you know that he 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 watches the cat and he figures out how to create a counter to the the eagle claw style and so um i think uh i think it's what i called the evolving landscape of the martial world in Ogregate. we kind of we kind of refined that principle and carried it over into the gm section um so, yes uh, and incidentally um something that uh you didn't mention brendan is that uh, and I'm going to read from the uh, description of our Jianghu. So in, in the book, we encourage GMs to make up their own Jianghu, their own martial world. But we provide one that's fully fleshed out uh, for a GM that doesn't want to go to all that trouble. They can use ours. And um, there's a, a kind of a, a paragraph that introduces it. And the last two uh, sentences say, Blood will surely be spilled in the struggles to gather the great, the great weapons of the Jianghu. But is this just a distraction from other threats? Is there a hidden master yet to be revealed? Well, the answer is that yes, there is a hidden master. And we actually do have a villain built into the NPCs that is basically more powerful than any of the other characters and probably more powerful than the uh, the player characters could ever become on a one-to-one -one basis. And so we put that in there specifically because at, you know, assuming that people play the game and their characters actually level up into the high levels, it, be, it becomes more and more difficult to find challenges for them, depending on how the GM yeah. chooses to balance the game. So there is a villain in there, and as for how to beat him, that's going to be uh, up to the players to discover, I think. Yeah, because there. So basically, it's a level one through nine. We chose nine as our level cap because of its, you know, auspicious nature. Um, but uh, the the question is, can you exceed level nine? And if you answer yes to that question, which the hidden master in the game provides a clue then that's another avenue to pursue for this one um so the next question is um any chance of putting an actual play session on youtube i'd be interested in seeing it in action this is brie uh long when i believe is the is the pronunciation um i uh so we do have a um uh, an actual play of Ogre Gate that Jeremy participated in on YouTube, and if you just if you just Google "Wandering Heroes of Ogre Gate," I think it's like the the Passionless uh, Heart Manual Adventure or something. You can go see that just to get if you want to get a sense of the proto system that led to this, which is a 
we'll get into it later but it's a much different system i don't know are we going to do uh an actual play or what's our have we we haven't really discussed this so i don't really know this is like live on air we don't really uh yeah. i don't think we have a planned well, response originally like before covid they had been talking about us doing some like uh demo sessions at like whatever like gen con and stuff and then even after um I believe it was after COVID had started, they even were talking about doing remote sessions. Uh, and then just, you know, COVID got worse and whatnot, and that just never happened. Yeah. So I think I'm talking, by the way, I'm talking about Osprey. Uh, the Osprey marketing guy had, had mentioned that to us. And so, so if that had happened, then likely those sessions probably would have been public. In terms of what we'll do going forward, I honestly don't really know. Um, I honestly don't feel myself to be good enough of a gm to handle that publicly i don't know i'm i'm not like I've, I've done a lot of jamming but i'm not as super experienced like i have to look up stuff even though i created the game i'm constantly like looking things up and it kind of goes slow so i would be hesitant to do that uh unless i really really prepared well okay. so for my end the answer is i'm probably not going to do that immediately but after the game comes out and if I have an opportunity, I might consider it. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. Because I, I did that one for Overgate. We had fun, but there was a lot of build-up to it. And it also, it felt different than other games that I ran because it was live on YouTube and all that. Uh, I have put up podcasts of my uh, Lady 87 campaign and my Disposable Disciples campaigns. But, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't recommend people go listen to those for fun because it's just me and my friends running... A game you know it just it's like the most boring thing in the world unless you are you know you i i basically put those up there so that if i needed to remember a detail i would have an audio record of it that was my main reasoning behind it um, yeah Plus, so i think so we wouldn't i i'm not i wouldn't be the, i'm kind of a misanthrope so i wouldn't be the type of person to go to to put up like a you know like a really a really well-planned demonstration of a game on youtube that's not quite my style uh and i don't know if that's yours either like yeah i I think honestly for for something like that to work properly as it for demonstration purposes is like you said it would need to be a lot more planned out um and which i'm i'm not necessarily opposed to that um but it it requires effort to plan it and also it requires the right group of players yeah. and that kind of stuff so i i think it would be worth it to do something like that eventually but it, again i don't uh i'm not in the position to do it right now and and i do want to mention i i think some of this plays into the classic you know um issue that has been big in the online um, tabletop role-playing game community over the past couple of years, which is the Mercer effect and, you know, the critical role and whatnot. And th- I think a lot of people see that and they're like, wow, this is so cool. Like, I want to see this yeah. with whatever game it is. And what a lot of people don't realize is that not the critical role and those kind of um, productions are fake or anything, but they're not the way that regular role-playing games generally run. And the, also, especially with critical role, I mean, they're professional actors. So, like, yeah. they're skilled at doing things that average players cannot. And so it's a lot harder for just average Joes like you and me to do an online 
stream and then have it be like that. It just, yeah. It's just not like that. Yeah, so like when I run a game, I'm very deadpan. Like if you think I'm deadpan on this podcast, like that's basically what you get when you get me as a GM. I very, I'll, 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 I'll sometimes do voices if I'm feeling it in the moment, but for the most part, I just kind of speak in a dry monotone. And I don't want to act in any way. I don't want to perform. I want to just play a game. So, um, so I'm not the kind. I'm not. I don't think I am the style of GM that is best for an actual play. Now I do have a friend Joel, who is much more exuberant about life and and everything than I am. And and we have a friend Elliot too, who's also sort of that style. Uh, Joel, I think, did do a uh, a uh, a playthrough of my Strange Tales of Song Ling game, and and who knows, maybe if he's in the mood, he'll do you know one of this game down the road. So if somebody that we're affiliated with, who's you know into doing actual plays, does one, that might happen too. But I mean, I can't, you know, I'm not going to go and ask anybody to do it. I'm just saying it's possible it might organically arise. Um, and, and 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 who knows? Maybe one of these days we'll do another YouTube one where it's like me, you, Rob, Elliot, and all the rest. Um, but uh, but again, I don't think that though. Even when we did the Ogregate one, that wasn't like you. It was just us on split screen. There were no special effects on the screen. There were you know there was no. You didn't get to see the map pop up. I don't think or anything like that. So it was um uh it was not uh it, I don't think I I, I this. This person asking the question, I don't know what style of actual play they have in mind, but if they have that more advanced style actual play, if we do it, it's not going to end up being that way. So just, I guess my advice, my, if we're not ruling it out, just keep your expectations fairly low. <laughs> that it's not going to be, it's not going to be like a critical role style type thing. Yeah, um, I think I think what might work would be to, um, you know, definitely not a full four hour session, but maybe do something short along the lines of one hour where we pick a few different key mechanics and things that we do a, an intentionally demo, like a demo version as opposed to real play. Cause yeah. the demo version would be a lot better. And even if, you know, even if it's not, uh, you know, realistic in terms of it being actual role playing the way it's actually played, uh, at least it would be able to demonstrate the functions of the game. So maybe we can, you know, think about that and, and try to do that. Yeah, later we'll, on down the line. Yeah, well, so we'll 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 talk about it after the podcast, and we'll we'll maybe have some updates later. But right now, just I would I would say don't hold your breath that it's going to happen anytime soon. Um, so uh, the next question is, I don't know how this is pronounced, Kaiser Affini on YouTube. Is that right? Uh, Moshan Shah combat is over in a few moves. Either you have the cultivation base to win, or you don't. Is a similar thing applied in mechanics here, or is the same system to reward tactics and planning to keep things expedited but gritty? Uh, why don't you answer the, this one? Well, first, to be clear, this is Wuxia, not, not Xianxia. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it non-Chinese. Xianxia, xian, anyway, Xianxia, it's definitely not Xianxia. It's not a cultivation-style game. It's martial arts, Wuxia. That said, basically, that is exactly how we described it. Now, we don't... It doesn't have anything to do with cultivation base because it's martial arts, but essentially we wanted to have a combat system that was fast and gritty. Uh, by fast, what, what we mean by that is that combat doesn't last for more than a couple rounds. That's the ideal. Um, and usually duels are what we encourage. Uh, and we there are cultural and genre reasons why we encourage that uh, that we get into in the GM section. 
But long story short is it's it's more designed for you know two characters to face off, have a clash, and then within a round or two, one of them is dead. Yeah. It's not supposed to be general melee with you know the five player characters rush in to fight fifteen bad guys or anything like that. I mean, you could do you that. You can do that, and it tends to run yeah. fast. But I mean, once you once you the more people you have, the more complex it, it can. Yeah, the, and know. we do like we have some signature abilities, which, for example, target multiple targets yeah. or have an area effect or something. So it's definitely possible. Um, and 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 I, I guess I should walk that back. Especially once the characters get stronger and stronger, you can definitely fight multiple opponents because because of those things. Like like the player character could jump in, swing their sword, and take down five enemies with one one blow. Yeah. Uh, so in in any case, uh, and then the grittiness comes, I think, from uh, number one is the way the damage is inflicted. Like I said, the reason combat's supposed to go so quickly is that the player characters, or actually all of the characters, do not have very many hit points ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, they get they start with three, if I remember correctly, and the max they can get is five, right? Yes. Yeah, um, or, or is it six? Um, but anyway, the point is, they have that. There is a, a thing where they can resist damage as they get higher, but long story short is they don't really have very many hit points, and the techniques and and uh, weapons can can do a lot of damage so it's very easy to one shot people and so and then on top of all of that we have a mechanic for what happens when you get to zero hit points and that's our um basically uh players can get mutilated <laughs> essentially yeah. or uh wounded in some severe way as opposed to dying uh, we did that to emulate what you see in the movies a lot, which is, you know, people getting arms chopped off or eyes gouged out, and then they come back later and that are still powerful martial artists. So that's my take on it. I, I think that we definitely went for a very quick uh, combat that is gritty and kind of bloody and violent and isn't a back and forth, you know, slowly tick down your, your hit points for seven rounds until combat yeah. is over. And I would just add that this is also the kind of game where you really kind of have to think carefully about whether you want to engage in combat when a combat situation arises. It isn't it isn't always the best decision to just charge in and fight. And the, there's a certain murkiness around who's more powerful. And you know, it, so I think I think that 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 will often mean that you you you're you're not combat is not going to be. Uh, your, your default assumption in every encounter. Um, and that's something that uh, the GM should hopefully make clear to the, to the players in session zero because, you know, we've talked about this in the podcast before. We wanted the game to be able to emulate these, the movies. And in the movies, there's so many situations where people face off and one of them thinks they're a lot tougher than they are. Yeah. And yeah. then, bam, they're dead. And so, as you mentioned it's encouraged for the players to consider carefully whether they really want to go through with this fight. Yeah. You can assess enemies, and in some cases that assessment might work, and you might be able to to uh, to realize, oh man, this person's way stronger than me. But there are, it doesn't always work, and so you can't be 100% for sure. You might assess somebody and think that they're not a threat, but maybe they're hiding their actual skill or ability, then you attack them, and then you're mutilated or dead pretty quickly. And instantly, one thing that was asked that I didn't touch on was the uh, using tactics or planning out special plans and stuff. That definitely is part of it. There are plenty of signature abilities that let you do cool and interesting things that, that you can use the terrain to your advantage or you can take advantage of an enemy with maybe a certain weapon or a, who uses a certain ability. So definitely 
thinking goes into it. I would say our goal was to do like what Gulong did in his fight scenes, which was to make the lead-up to the fight actually more dramatic and important than the actual yes. fight itself. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. That was definitely something we were agreed upon from the very beginning, and we really tried to make that happen. Um, so the next question is from Andreas DeVore. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, from Instagram. And Andreas asks, what reward mechanisms do you have in the game to enforce a play style like a Wuxia story? Um, so one thing I would say is I think we both come from the perspective of not necessarily enforcing a style of play. Like the like the, there, there, are, uh, there are games out there that will make a certain style of, of story happen for sure. And that's not my style of play, so I didn't want to make a game that operated that way. That said, uh, there are mechanics in the game that do reward what you would expect to see in a Wuxia story. So the experience rewards, you get XP for getting revenge, for example, or for defeating somebody stronger than you. And you also get uh, XP for achieving a major goal. And those are often going to be, you know, Wuxia-related uh, storylines. Um, another area of the game where I think something that you see in the genre is encouraged is the way our drinking system works, um, which was really, that was something that you were really promoting the whole time. That was like thing you wanted to make sure we had. And, and, and it definitely does that because once you create a system like that, it, it, you know, it allows for drinking contests. It allows for that sort of thing. So that is in there. Um, and the other thing that, that Jeremy just mentioned, the talking and analysis phase in combat, that encourages a certain, not a storyline, but a thing you see in Wuxia a lot. And I think, I think that's more where we were coming from, is we wanted, we want to see things that are present in Wuxia appear. We don't necessarily, you know, we don't really, we're not too focused on, did you, did you do this storyline from beginning to end? That was less our focus. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Is that, did I answer the question or you think that's, I think you did. And I think actually a, a secondary answer to the question is that the aspects of the game that make it especially Wusha are not really mechanical and they're going to have to do a lot with the GM and the players and their understanding of Wusha and their, and their desire to, you know, keep it authentic if you want to put yeah. it that way. And for example, um, Two, or a couple of different examples, one being face. I mean, that's something that you can't really make a mechanic that forces, I'm putting forces in air quotes, however you want to do it, you can't really make a mechanic, in my opinion, that would effectively like bring the face elements into the game. That's really just going to come down to, is the GM running the NPCs as a Wuxia character, and are the characters playing their character as a Wuxia yeah. character? And, you know, there's a million examples you could come up with. One that jumps to mind is, you've brought this up in the podcast before, many years ago when I um, was uh, playing, I think it was even before Wandering Heroes of Overgate came out, and I think I was in playtest, or it might have been afterward, and we were just playing, I forget. Um, and you asked me about my perception of how accurate the game was, and what I said was that the bar scenes were not accurate. Yeah. And so if you read a lot of Wuxia novels, and, and to some extent Stansiao as well, but forget Stansiao, this is specifically Wuxia. If you read a lot of Wuxia novels, you're never going to see a scene, uh, well, I probably should walk that back because I haven't read every single Wuxia novel in existence. Most likely, you're not going to see a scene where 
the players go to the inn like they do in Dungeons and Dragons. You know, everybody's sitting there like singing, you know, songs, and then they walk up to the bar and say, "Hey, bartender, what's going on in town?" I mean, that that doesn't really happen in Usha. And so, if the GM is presenting a situation like that, it's not going to be particularly authentic. Or if the players are are jumping around doing things that are just obviously not Usha, then that's also going to yeah. take away from that feel. So in the end. I think that what's really going to lead to the right atmosphere, if that's what you're aiming for, is going to be the, the play group in general and their their experience and their desire to have an authentic experience. And just to be clear, inns and taverns are like a thing, but like it'll be more like in Dragon Inn or something. You know what I mean? It's in like, like you were saying, like one of the things that I think you were pointing out was our players would go up to a table and offer to buy them a round of drinks. And it was just more of like an American style approach to drinking culture. And so it was a lack of understanding of the, how the drinking culture worked that he that was uh, was causing a lot of the believability issues. Um, but I just didn't want people to think that there are no inns in the setting or anything. Um, there definitely yeah, are yeah. inns and taverns. A lot. It's just that they operate differently. Like, for instance, there's no bar. There isn't a, like the kind of bar you envision in the West where you kind of walk up, there's you, you lean up against it or maybe there's stools and you kind of lean over and like look left and right and there's people there and you can kind of talk with them. That bar doesn't exist in There'll China. There'll often be but, a counter though in the movies. They'll often have a there counter. There will be a counter, yeah. yes, but that's like where the innkeeper yeah. kind of watches over things and then like settles accounts and stuff. It's yeah. like the front desk basically. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, so, you know, um, I think that, uh, but the bottom line is we, we you know, I, 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 I agree with Jeremy saying that we, the, how this stuff gets handled, a lot of that is going to be in the hands of the GM and the hands of the players. Uh, you know, that said, um, there, the, this game spends tremendous amounts of time dealing with, uh, objects of power in the game and, 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 you know, major weapons in the game and devices. And obviously that's Gulong inspired. And a lot of Gulong stories are about somebody trying to gain control of a particular weapon or, you know, a particular artifact or whatever. Um, and so those storylines, I think, are fairly likely to come up. Like if you were to just run a generic Righteous Blood Ruthless Blades game, the easiest thing to do would be to drop some powerful weapon into the martial world and let everybody go crazy trying to kill each other over it, right? Like, that's the, that's like the generic plot. So that plot is definitely going to happen in a lot of campaigns, I think. Um, and so uh, the the next... Oh, go ahead. I was, excuse me, I was going to put a final um, word of warning, I guess, uh, and that is that as with anybody who is an experienced GM to any extent knows that whatever plans you make, they're most likely not going to work. So, like, you could, one one um, angle you could take is you could pick a movie that you like, and you could try to create a setup similar to that movie, um, but just be aware that it it's going to go in a different direction than you intended, almost for sure. Like, recently, um, I was running, I was doing Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blades, and I wanted to emulate Dragon Gate in uh, Fate of Lee Khan, and so I set up this, like, super complicated in um tavern like scene like i did i'm telling you i I prepared like each table like who the guests were like all this stuff like it was really going to be perfect dragon gate in and instantly the players did something completely different and all of that preparation was almost useless i mean i kept it off to the side for later but the point is just 
uh, although you can try to emulate a certain movie or scene in, in your favorite, uh, one of your favorite movies or scenes, uh, it's going to go off in a different direction. So yeah. you just have to be able to deal with that. Yeah, no, that's it's, it's like chemistry. You, know, you don't know how it's going to go. Um, all right, so the, the, the next question, this is something I found on a forum. There was a Wuxia thread, and uh, the game's uh, Righteous Blood Ruthless Blades came up, and somebody asked a question, which I thought, I, I don't want to mention the username because I don't, they, you know, the, I, I didn't I, I didn't communicate with the person but the question I thought was um, I thought I, I was in, I was interested in answering the question because uh, I think it's a valid one um, it was uh, any idea why they're making it or why they're making righteous blood ruthless blades when they also made wandering heroes of Ogregate or how it is different so I think this is one both of us can answer obviously the first part is maybe more directed at me um, and my answer to that one is, when I did wonder, and, and also I think Jeremy, because Jeremy was there from the, like, when I was developing Ogregate, and Jeremy and I wrote uh, the Tournament of Dalu together, and Jeremy wrote the the back, like, he wrote the, the official novel that tells the backstory. So, you know, um, but for me, Ogregate was an attempt to do a fantasy role-playing style setting that was heavily inspired by Wuxia, that was set sort of in a Dong, sorry, not Dong, Song Dynasty period, and really kind of leaned on like Condor Heroes type stuff and things like that, uh, with, you know, elements of Gulong. Um, but I, I, I wanted it to be crunchy and get a lot, like I wanted the techniques to all be discreet and like have a bunch of them. And so I kind of wanted to go more that Jin Yong angle with things. Uh, one of the downsides of that is that for the players, it's fairly easy because it's, you know, basically an Ogregate because it's all based around everybody having all these techniques and you get a lot of techniques and you can keep growing that list. It's kind of like having a party full of spellcasters in D&D. Um, the players are able to handle their own spells fairly easily. Where that gets difficult is for the GM. Now, I was happy to run that. I loved running Ogregate. Once you know how to run the system, you can run it really smoothly, fastly. But it takes a while to get that level of mastery of the system in order to do it. And I kept hearing from people who like love the game and love the setting material, especially the setting material. I got a lot of people who love the setting material, but they thought that the techniques and the way they worked made it a little hard to run. And so I, I started developing uh, the Strange Tales of Song Ling game with that in mind. And then by the time this project came up, I, I wanted to test that in the Wuxia realm. And so when me and Jeremy first talked about it, I was like, you know, we don't want to repeat Ogregate. We want to, you know, like we want to take what worked in Ogregate, but learn all the lessons of what was kind of hard about it. Why, like, what were some of the hurdles for people picking it up as a system? And, and so, you know, I stand by Ogregate. I think it's a great game, but I can't lie to somebody's face when they ask me about it and tell them, oh, it's a simple, streamlined, easy and fast paced game. It's not. It's 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 a bit crunchy. It's got a bit of weight to it. And this was intended to be sort of the how do you every Wuxia game has to answer the same problem, which is how do you emulate a genre like Wuxia or Kung Fu martial arts films? and capture all of the diversity of techniques and things that are in there without just doing what I did in Ogregate, which is just having a big giant list of techniques. And what we tried to do here was, I think, make broader techniques that are a little bit more like styles. You don't deal with quite as many. You know, there's like a, there's kind of more of a cap on how many that every 
any individual player will have. And the overall system surrounding them is much lighter and easier to manage. So um, that's why, you know, there was actually a really good reason, I thought, for wanting to make this game. This was a game, whether Osprey contacted me or not, I think this game would have been made because I felt the need to go in that direction. So, you know, I, I don't know how you feel about it, but that, that was my thought. Well, I, I was going to actually say something that you kind of shot down my idea with your last sentence oh. there, because I was, was going to say, we um, okay, so let's not get into hypotheticals about what might have happened. Okay. But okay. what did happen was that Osprey came to you and asked you to make the game. Yes. And it wasn't like me and you were just sitting down and we're like, hey, let's make a new Usha game. Yeah. And that's based on Orge, but like it wasn't like that. So I think that is a, a factor. And, to, and as for whether or not, it would have happened if Osprey didn't come in. I mean, that's, you know, obviously it definitely could have, but the, the initial spark at least was, um, you know, Osprey wanting to, to do it. And yeah. the reason they wanted to do it, I don't think we really need to, to get into, but, you know, they obviously have this new um, role-playing game line and they're adding a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't really have anything further to add other than that, but I did want to ask you a quick question, which is how are we doing on time? Because uh, while we were uh, talking, well, as we've been doing this recording, I had a few more questions pop in. Oh, uh, we're, we're we're at an hour, but I I got some a little more time if we want to ask okay. some more questions. Um, okay, so I think there's too many here because a couple different people came in. Uh, this is kind of uh, this is from Marcelo Ramos on Twitter, and this is kind of I feel like it's a pretty deep question. It's he says, how do you guys reconcile the idea of building a rising momentum in a battle from Usha stories with the usual? Uh, Trition mechanics in role-playing games and um do you want to tackle that first brendan or we've, we've kind of touched on this a little bit already in the combat talk we've done so far um i mean why don't you why don't you answer it because i'm i i need to think okay about well, i mean i think it, it comes i think it uh it comes down to the fundamental question which we've already addressed quite a bit of what we were going for with the combat so we're not going for, you know, I mean, in terms of attrition mechanics, I'm not 100% certain what is meant by that, but I, I think... I think he means, pretty... like, slow combat that's by yeah. attrition over time. Yeah. That was my... It makes me think of... Uh, so I read the same thread that you mentioned earlier, of, and one of the comments that jumped out to me, uh, was people were talking about different Wusha games, uh, they were talking about, was it... Uh, I'm not going to mention which game specifically it was, but one... Uh, person commented that they really liked this game and another person commented well i have the opposite experience which of course this is always going to happen with different yeah. games people have different opinions the person who didn't like it said that they didn't like it because they ran one session of combat and it took six hours and i personally have experienced that as well you know i've been in um games where you're you know you run into a village and there's orcs attacking and then you breaks out into a fight and then six hours later everyone's like all right i need to go home and the fighting's still not over and we were definitely not going for that with this and yeah. we talked about it with the jin young thing and versus gulong uh there's supposed to be clashes of combat and ideally between individual characters and so because of that it's supposed to be a lot more fast-paced. Yeah. We, we timed combat, or at least I timed combat in my playtest to keep it... I think I was trying to go for under 15 minutes, if I remember. Um, I like really short combats. Even in Ogregate, like, people might be surprised. My Ogregate combats are generally pretty quick unless there's a lot of players and a lot of NPCs. But generally, I keep combat fast. I 
rush people. I, I don't, you know, I'm very impatient as a GM. Um, so, yeah, is there, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I agree a, with what you say, though. I agree with what you say there. Okay. Here's an interesting one also from Marcelo Ramos. Uh, and he asks, is the game focused on fighting or the aspects of reputation, sect building, and management have a greater presence on the gameplay? So this is going to depend on your philosophy about when somebody says, what is the game focused on? Is your answer based on what the bulk of the rules say or what the intent of the game is? Do you know what I mean? Because like some people will look at a game and say, well, 80% of the rules are combat. So this is a combat focused game. I don't come from the school of thought that that's the case. I believe that combat often gets more representation because combat is one of these things where you really need a system in order to deal with uh, the uncertainties and the fairness issues and things that are maybe more social or more investigatory in nature or whatever. Those don't always need mechanics. Um, So I have a little bit more of an old school approach. Uh, That said, I mean, we have a whole system for drinking in the game. You know, we have, um, you know, a robust skill system that includes, you know, you know, a whole array of things, including gambling, including, um, you know, uh, you know, like certain social skills and things like that. Scholarly arts. Scholarly arts. So those are all elements of the game. What we don't do is we don't create mini games out of most of those things because we didn't want to bog down. I, I, and it's just a style issue. I don't, when I, when I run like a magic blade style campaign and I'm, and there's like an element of intrigue or mystery going on, I do not want to be playing some other game while that's happening. I want whatever's happening at the table to flow naturally. And I feel like the best way to do that is to have as little mechanics around that as possible. And then as light mechanics as possible around stuff like combat. And so, yeah, I don't know if that answers this question or not, but that's, I mean, I think so. Um, we do, uh, focus on fighting because it's a Wusha game. I mean, obviously, but as you mentioned, there's a lot more to it. Um, we don't necessarily have a, reputation mechanic built into the game yeah. but we we touch on that a lot in the gm section just in general and in terms of sect building and sect management like i mentioned like we've mentioned before we toned that down and we don't really include any specific mechanics but if that's a direction the gm and the players want to explore that's obviously going to be totally fine we have a lot we have a good amount of um, organizations if i remember it's something around i think like 10 maybe different organizations it might be a little bit more than that we have good ones, we have bad ones, we have big ones, we have small ones, we have rising ones, we have defunct ones, yeah. uh, we have rich ones, we have poor ones, and all kinds of one, all kinds of organizations. So if that's something that the players want to do, that's absolutely and, totally possible. And I will say, we live in a time when like we're we're like really getting a boom of Wusha games. It seems there's a lot of Wusha material. When back when I you know started working on Oregon Gate, one of the reasons why I even did it was because I was just having trouble finding the Wusha game that I wanted. There was stuff out there, but I was just having trouble finding the thing that kind of was what I imagined was the what I wanted Wusha to be. Um, and I feel like now it's getting easier to find something that fits your taste. And there's also a lot of games that have, you know, been around for a while that are also good. Um, what, what, so what I would say to people is, uh, definitely check out some of the other games that are out there too, because this game does things a certain way. And if you want mechanics 
for things like solving mysteries or other parts of play that we're not that's not the kind of game we made there might be another game out there that's a wuxia game that would do that um you know one and 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 just to just to throw this out there because i i know the author and it's a, it's a great game there's a, a new game called art of wuxia that i would recommend people check out and i think there's another game it's not my style of play but a lot of people seem to be intrigued by it which is hearts of wulin and that gets more at some of the social and drama stuff, but it's got mechanics around that. So that's not a game that I would ever make, but it's certainly a game that there's an appetite for, and I would, you know, suggest that. And then there's a whole list of other games out there. If you just type Wuxia RPG, I, I think there's probably a Reddit list somewhere or something where you can get the list. But I, my my attitude towards Wuxia RPGs is I like to encourage people to check out the other ones that are out there because I know that the things, all the things I've worked on are just one flavor of Wuxia. And so, and I feel like the more people that get into the genre, the more it helps all of us. So, yeah, um, I think as for people who are coming to Wuxia for, um, for the first time, perhaps after having, you know, there's a lot of people out there who've seen Crouching Tiger and Dragon or Hero or something. And they're like, wow, Wuxia is so cool. Uh, people like that might not be aware of how, multifaceted it is yeah. and how many different authors and different directors and different actors have their own sort of takes and whatnot. I do want to get one more question in because sure. I think we're probably getting close toward uh, end time here. This is from Hench High Logic on uh, Twitter. And the question is, there's a couple, but I'll just lump them all together. They're all basically the same, um, qu same question, basically. And we touched on this when we were talking about the hidden master uh, in the setting. Uh, but the question is, what is the maximum level? And in general, power level terms, is a max level character equivalent to, say, a master like Lu Xiaofeng? Or is a max level character meant to represent someone even more powerful? I would say we were going for Lu Xiaofeng as more of the... That, that's more where we're aiming for. Um, you could certainly exceed... The max level, I think we answered it earlier, but the max level is 9. And... But there's a there's a big asterisk on that, and you can certainly exceed that if you want to. Now you love it, it, like with old, old the old versions of D and D, people used to go beyond the levels that were described in the books because you can extrapolate what the math is. You could certainly try to do that with our game. Now you might you might have to be inventive though if you keep going beyond level nine because it's not you know the the. the, the I mean, I don't have the thing right in front of me right now, but there are definitely things on the XP progression that would not be immediately apparent, you know, as like, a, oh, well, there's this clear pattern of you get this every so many levels. So therefore, at level 17, this would happen. Um, but you could certainly, you know, keep going. I just think you would have to be very careful. I would be very, very cautious about increasing wounds beyond that that level. I think that when you get... Uh, with a game like this, the math is so tight with the dice pools, you want to be cautious. And also, I do want to say a thing about dice pools here, too. Because a, lo a lot of people do not like dice pools. There's definitely a reaction that is out there. And, and, and I understand it, so I don't want to like... If you don't like dice pools, you don't like dice pools. But one thing I want to say is, when I first made this game with Bill, the original system that this was built on, it was because Bill didn't like dice pools. And I wanted to do dice pools. And he said, well, we can do it, but only if we do it in this way. So our dice pool system is really is stripped down as it can be in terms of you don't really go beyond a certain, you know, you never, you never go beyond seven or ten dice. You know what I mean? There's like a soft cap of seven, hard cap of ten. You never roll beyond that. And you're always taking the single highest result, which means if you roll 60-10, 
you only take the die that has the highest result. You ignore all the other results. Uh, and and so, you know, with, with maybe some exceptions, there are some, there's something called open damage that occasionally pops up, and that might be a case where you would be dealing with multiple successes. But other than that, you're not going to be playing poker with the dice or any kind of mini game with the dice. We keep it fairly simple. So again, maybe dice pools aren't your thing anymore or that you're not into them for whatever reason. That's fine. But I, I just want to you know, emphasize that our dice pool system is different than what most people have in mind when they think of a dice pool. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I know there is there any, did you want to answer that question? Oh, or? yeah, I was just going to basically essentially say the same thing as you said, which is that the, the top fighters in the Gulong universe is what we were aiming for for the top level. Yeah. And, and even though we do have this, you know, question that we've hinted at, and I think by hinting at so heavily have kind of answered about whether you could go higher than that, we didn't intend to, for, for, we didn't ever intend to, for instance, have Righteous Blood, Ruthless Blades 2, and then we go up to level 20 or something yeah. like that. That was never the consideration. And- so, for instance, in Ogre Gate, there's a level cap, but like you have characters. I remember like there's like demon lords and stuff who are like level 500 or something. Like well, it or... goes up. Well, I think I have things that go up to like level 57 and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. like I envision it going all the way up to the, uh, you know, the the enlightened goddess. You know. The, yeah. So like... you have immortals in there basically, and we didn't really intend for this to connect to a, a like the the heavens or something. It's yeah. supposed to be fully grounded in Wusha, so the characters are supposed to be the characters that. The characters that are level nine in Righteous Blood with its blades, and when the characters reach that level, are supposed to be like the yeah. top figures in uh, Gulong stories. And also, from a mechanical point of view, I think that's more sound because when I did Ogate, I originally planned it to be levels one through six. And if you play Ogate, levels one through six are very solid. But once you get past level six, because I expanded it later on, it, it like a lot of games. I mean, it doesn't. It's still playable for sure. Like I've had, I've played campaigns that go up higher in level and we have profound master stuff and it's it's great but it gets way more unpredictable in terms of am i gonna one-shot somebody or what you know it's just harder to to know what a level 17 character is capable of and for some people that really can bust a system so i feel like the levels that we dealt with in this game are just more manageable mechanically um but yeah so do we have any other questions or are we uh, there, I, there are a couple more, but they're essentially reiterations of questions we already answered. So I okay. think that's pretty much it for today. All right, all right. So, so yeah, with that, I guess we'll head out. We might take on some more Q and A questions because I kind of like this format. This was kind of fun to just go through a list and not have to work. It's just like I was getting spoon-fed topics. Um, <laughs> sure. So. And anybody out there that's listening, you know, if you do have follow-up questions or anything, you can always hit us up pretty much anywhere on social media, forums, or whatever. Just make sure to tag us if it's not on our, our personal social media or whatever. I'm more than happy to. I normally answer the questions just directly, whether it's on YouTube, Twitter, or whatever. But I can also, you know, start keeping track so that we can have uh, more discussions like this. Yeah, and I'm sometimes harder to get track of. Like I, I just found out that I was getting messages on MeWe, and and that I didn't know about them for about a year. And so, like, I just started answer, responding to some of the questions people... Not related to this, but I was getting PMs on MeWe, and I didn't know. And so, um, you know, I can sometimes be difficult to track. If you want to get in touch with me specifically, go to the Bedrock blog. There's a contact form on there. Or go to my website, the bedrockgames.net website, and there's a contact form there. 
Um, or you can just look me up on Facebook or anything like that um, and contact me and I'll try to answer. But but I think Jeremy is usually better at... Uh, at I do my best, although Facebook is, is my undoing because I don't know why I don't get Facebook notifications. Facebook. So I've, I've gone in there and had like tons of messages that I didn't even realize I had. No, Facebook is weird because I'll go onto pages that I manage and like I don't see the notifications and then I see these old messages that I never saw an alert for and yeah. the pages system is really strange um, and also the algorithm is really strange. So you could be friends with somebody but if you haven't interacted with their page for whatever reason, you might, might not enter into your feed. So you could, like you and I are friends and you might post something on there and I might not even see it if I haven't like liked something that you put up or shared it in a long time so uh, yeah. it's really it's really weird um my website has a contact form as well if you're not on social media you can always send a message through there as well okay so so yeah and so and again the game is coming out this month in europe um you can still it's still like i i don't know if the kindle is going to be available in the u.s on the 10th or not i'm not I, i'm not clear on that but i know that that, that there's the stock issue so you're gonna you can pre-order it but it probably won't come in until January in, in print. Um, so, you know, there's that, which, I, I, again, we, we feel bad, but that's there's nothing we can really do about it. So just, you know, uh, uh, you know, we, we we really wanted this game to come out in December, but it's, uh, it, you know, it is what it is. So, um, so, yeah, so hopefully we answered everybody's questions. And if you have any more, send them to us. And until next time, we will talk to you later. With the laughter comes the rain, with my anger comes a tide of emotion, killing joy, cutting steel across your eyes. Are you dead or insane? 